Well, we look out on our world, and if I said crazy things happen, would I have to convince anybody that there's silly things happening all around the world? Well, let me tell you a story I came across. It happened a few years ago. There was a man in Nigeria. He was in court. He was in prison, actually, before he went to court. And the judge, after listening to all the charges, dismisses all of them and acquits him of any wrongdoing. This man, after being acquitted, refuses to leave and demanded that he be put back in prison. (laughs) I mean, crazy things continue to happen. The eyewitnesses in the courtroom watched all of this play out as he continued to resist being released. The guard on duty then thought that the man was joking and was gently trying to escort him out. Well, then, as you would know, in a courtroom, there's often quiet, it's solemn. All kinds of noise started to break out as eyewitnesses testified to the shock of themselves. This man continued to resist leaving the courthouse. It took six guards, policemen, church or court workers, not church workers, court workers to drag him across the floor and out of the courthouse. And that story just captures something that I think is so true of this moment right now in this place. Jesus Christ, by what he did on the cross and through the proof of the resurrection, wants to acquit people of their sin but not everybody wants it some refuse it and then there's some that have accepted it but refuse to walk in it which makes them really no different than the first group well this morning what we're going to do is look at what happened that God could acquit people that he could release us from these things. So if you have a Bible or a device, I encourage you to look at John chapter 20. Now, let me just say why I think it's so important to pull it up on a device or look in your own Bible is because the Bible is, even though it's written by people, it's a supernatural book. These people that wrote, in this case, John, he was moved by the Holy Spirit to say what God wanted him to say. And know what that means? If God had something to say, we probably should be people that say, I want to listen. I mean, I want to listen to everybody else, but I want to listen to what God has to say. So if you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand as we read a few verses in John chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. 
The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciple went back to where they were staying. I want to just skip a little bit ahead. And so what happens is Peter and John are there. That's the disciple that Jesus loved. That's who he's referencing here. And so they go back, but Mary stays there. She hangs out at the tomb. So skipping to verse 16, Jesus starts talking to Mary. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had these things to say to her. Let's pray this morning. Father, thanks for your word. Thanks that you love us enough, that you care enough, that you want us to know truth, that you want us to know what happened. And so God, as we look at this passage in a little more detail, give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see, but God, we need to you to work in our hearts to change us that we would be people that would believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. Well, this morning, we're looking at a story, right, that was written down. And actually, what I want to bring us into about these three people, Mary, Peter, and John, is that they were eyewitnesses to the event. Just like the story in the courtroom, I said that these eyewitnesses were shocked. These eyewitnesses were watching this man demand that he be thrown back in prison. This morning we want to look at these eyewitnesses and what they have to say. And part of what we're going to see is that the power of Jesus' resurrection changes lives. The power of Jesus' resurrection changes lives. The resurrection is one of the most documented facts in ancient history. Now isn't that interesting to say it that way? When we look at ancient history, when we look at all the events, different people, what we begin to see is that the resurrection is the most documented of all ancient things that we believe. Hundreds not just one or two, not just five or six, not dozens, but hundreds were eyewitnesses to the risen, the resurrected Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're reading John's account, and we're looking at just three eyewitnesses, but let's be clear. Let's be really clear this morning. Trusting the testimony of eyewitnesses is not irrational. It's not irrational to listen to someone who was there who is testifying to what had happened. Now surely, if one person says the story, yeah, maybe. Two people, you may say, I'm not convinced. Three people, you may still be. But the Bible makes clear that Jesus Christ appeared to over 500 people eyewitnesses testifying that they saw the resurrected Christ. Lawyers, journalists, scholars, and others study historical events, historical people, 
And in this case, they conclude that the resurrection is one of the best documented facts in ancient history. The Bible then goes on and tells you and me the significance of the resurrection. Now, what do I mean the significance of the resurrection? Well, the Bible makes it really clear that all people have rebelled against God, that there is no exception. Now, when I use the word sin, sometimes we throw these words around and sometimes people are like, well, what are we talking about when we say sin? Well, let me just be really clear about what sin is in the Bible. The sin that the Bible is talking about is got two pieces really to it. The first is vertical, right? It's that all people, myself included, have rebelled against God. I have turned away from what God has wanted at different times. So all of us are in that category of rebellion. No one escapes. But then there's another way that the Bible talks about sin, and that's on the horizontal. The horizontal is that all of us have failed to love people. Sometimes we fail to love our spouse. Sometimes we fail to love our children, or our children fail to love us, or we fail to love a sibling, or we fail to love our neighbors, right? There's something in us that so often gets expressed in selfishness, self-centeredness. We get absorbed, and then what we try to do is we begin to move against these different things, and we try to satisfy what's in our heart by usually turning to things like drugs or alcohol, pornography, all these things that we can then easily get addicted to to try to satisfy. And so when we satisfy our longings, and so what we're talking about now is that the resurrection changes lives because it breaks the power of sin. It breaks the power of rebellion in our lives. It breaks the power of selfishness and self-centeredness. It breaks that power when we fail to love so that we can love. And so what the Bible then says is that the death of Christ paid for our sin so that we could be acquitted, so that we could be set free. But not everybody will believe that. Not everybody will believe what Jesus did for them. And then the case and the situation of the man in Nigeria, it wasn't that he believed or didn't believe. The problem was he didn't want it. He just flat out didn't want it. He wanted to stay in his prison. What the resurrection offers is proof demonstrated by the eyewitnesses that God, through Jesus' resurrection, conquered sin destroyed the sting of death because he told us what's on the other side. Lots of people have died, right? How many have come back and told us exactly what's on the other side? Who has come back and told us how to find a way to God? Well, Jesus Christ is the only one who did that. So that's why we talk about the resurrection as the power to change lives because it can break that power of sin and it destroys the sting of of death. So as we look at it this morning, what I want to do is bring us a little deeper into the lives of the eyewitnesses that we just read about. So let's go back in verses 1 and 2. We've got Mary Magdalene. 
right? Mary Magdalene was a follower of Christ. Now, here's what we know about Mary that I think would be really helpful. Now, I want to give some pictures. I'm going to give some pictures throughout the uh, sermon this morning, but this is Mary Magdalene painted by a guy about 1535 or so, and he was trying to capture the second moment that Mary was there. Remember the first moment she goes early and she has some spices because she wants to anoint Jesus and she gets there and the stone is rolled away. And you know, she runs back and gets Peter and John and they go running. We'll see that in a minute. But now Mary, they leave and go back to their homes. Not Mary. Mary Magdalene hangs out in the front of the tomb. And this picture captures her in that moment. In that moment, she's pondering what just happened. What's going on here? Who rolled the stone away? Where is Jesus? And we heard earlier the question was, who stole her body? Who stole Jesus' body? Well, eventually, Mary, sitting there in this thoughtful pose, questioning what's going on, she gets up. And she looks into the tomb and she sees two angels. Then, out of the corner of her eye, she sees someone behind her. And she thinks it's the gardener. The gardener in the, where the tomb is. And then as we read, it's Jesus. And he says to her, Mary. It just reminds me of John chapter 10. I just love it in John chapter 10. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and I know my sheep. As soon as Jesus said, Mary, she knew that's Jesus. The tone of his voice, the sound of his voice, the way he said Mary with sweetness. And immediately she recognizes that's Jesus. Rabboni my teacher. And so that's what we read. And he says to her, stop clinging to me for I've not yet ascended to the father and I'm going, uh, but I go, but go to my brethren, meaning the disciples and say to them what is going to happen. And she then runs and goes sees Jane or uh, Peter and John. Now let's bring us a little deeper into Mary. Now, Mary was someone who, the Bible tells us, had these demons. She was controlled by Satan. And Jesus, early in his ministry, releases her by his power, frees her from the control of these spiritual forces. She then, according to Luke chapter 8, verse 3, she then starts following Jesus, and apparently she had wealth. She starts using her money to support Jesus' ministry. That's Mary. Mary, we're told, was involved with Jesus following his ministry, financially supporting his ministry, and then when Jesus went on trial, who's there? Mary's there. She listened to Pontius Pilate condemn Jesus to death. She was there when he sent Jesus to the cross. She was there watching Jesus hang on the cross, trying to comfort him. Now, how do I know this? Because she's an eyewitness, and other eyewitnesses said she was there and talked about her being there. And I'm talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them are writing about this. And so then Mary, after Jesus died, 
she was with the burial team. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Well, Mary Magdalene was there as well. She was part of all these events. So she's a great eyewitness to listen to. So here we see Mary distraught, trying to take it all in in this picture. And we see that then Mary runs to go tell the disciples, Peter and John. And so let's turn to them because Peter and John now are the next eyewitnesses that were part of this. So what we see here in the story, Peter and the other disciple, that's John, started to run for the tomb. Both were running, verse 4, but the other disciple, that is John, outran Peter and reached the tomb first, right? So what happens? He bent over and peeks in. So John gets there first. He sees the stone rolled away, just like Mary Magdalene had said, but he doesn't go in. He just peeks in. Finally, Peter, he gets there and he just dives right into the tomb. Like, what's going on here? And that, of course, is, is Peter, right? But in this picture, I love this picture, right? Because you can see in these faces of these guys, right? They're, they're earnest about what they've been told. They're serious about what they've been told. Now, they had spent three years with Jesus, and when they start finding out that maybe someone stole the body or something, someone tampered with the body, they weren't really clear yet about the resurrection and what that all meant, but you see them racing there. And of course, John goes ahead first. But let's bring us a little bit into Peter's life. Peter was a follower, and some of you know he was a fisherman. He had his own business. Some of you are business owners. Some of you women own businesses. Some of you guys own some businesses. Well, Peter was a business owner, and he was in a partnership with James and John. Now, tradition tells us, and there's good evidence for this in the scriptures, that John was first cousin to Jesus right? So we'll talk about John in just a moment. But Peter was in a partnership with John and his brother. And so John, or Peter, was in Bethsaida, and then he moved to Capernaum, we're told. We're told that Peter was married. We don't have any record of him having any children. But here's something interesting. Peter, if you do a search on his name in the Bible, he is the most frequently mentioned person apart from Jesus Christ. That's how prominent a role that Peter had. He even had the wherewithal to rebuke Jesus. Now, you know, Pilate might rebuke Jesus, but his disciples weren't going to rebuke him. But Peter, being as impetuous and impulsive as he was, certainly found it within himself to rebuke Jesus. Jesus, or Peter would be described as being part of Jesus' inner circle. He was that close. He got to see some things that the others didn't see. He was the first of the 12 disciples, not the first to see Jesus, but the first of the 12. Mary Magdalene was the first. Now Peter, as many of you probably have heard, after the resurrection was so convinced, he believed so seriously that he was martyred and refusing to be crucified like Jesus Christ, he was crucified upside down. So Peter believed. In fact, Peter went on and wrote a couple letters, First and Second Peter, and look what Peter said. 
He said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter again is writing from the perspective, I saw it, I was there, I was in the midst of it. And so Peter becomes an excellent eyewitness along with the others. Well, let's hit John real quickly. I already said that John was, uh, at least from tradition standpoint, was uh, first cousin to Jesus. He too traveled with Jesus for three years. He was an eyewitness. And look what John wrote. Now John wrote uh, several books of the Bible, right? He wrote first, second, and third John, the Gospel of John, and the book of Revelation. But here's what he wrote in first John. He said, what was from the beginning, what we have heard. In other words, John is saying, hey, here's what we heard. Here's what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, what we have seen and we have heard, we have proclaimed to you. So John is testifying that Jesus Christ changes lives. And if you look at this, if you look at all the disciples and all that happened, we recognize that disciples, right? There were 12 disciples. Judas, of course, went out and hung himself, so he commits suicide Judas then gets replaced by Matthias. All but one disciple died a martyr's death. Why? Because they believed what they saw. And that's why we say at Fox Alley Church, and I said last week, know what you believe and believe what you know. Know what you believe and believe what you know. And so what we want to see at Fox Valley Church is that we want to see people believe the message and the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ wants to acquit us of our sin. He wants to remove the guilt and the shame, but it takes us to believe Him. We need to know what He did at the cross. And then we can see all kinds of changed lives. I look around Fox LA Church and I'm amazed, I'm stunned, I'm shocked at how many lives have been touched and changed by Jesus Christ from the inside out. Affections changing, lifestyles changing because of the conviction, because of the belief of what Jesus Christ had done. And I could multiply stories over and over. I could share my own story of all that God had done to change me from a rebellious sinner, someone who was self-centered and selfish to someone that was on a path to a whole new way of living because of the power of the resurrection to change lives. But what I'd like to do is let us listen to someone in Fox Valley Church tell his story. Would you watch this with me? Yeah, so I was born in um, um, a little small country, the smallest in Africa called Burundi, right in um, Central Africa. And um, I grew up and came from a religious family. We attended church every Sunday and um, did all the events, Christmas, you know, Easter, Passover. When I became 14, um, I remember being part of that church again. And um, I was sitting down on a Sunday morning, kind of at the back, and um, the pastor was preaching and he was sharing the message of, of hope and I was sitting there um, drawn and uh, overwhelmed in my own thought being afraid and, and all that and the preacher was sharing and and he caught me 
right there and he exposed what I was thinking and he told me, you know, you don't have to be afraid. You know, there's last in you and I was like, wait a minute. So God knows me. He thinks about me. He knows I exist and he knows exactly what I'm thinking. It was at that moment that it changed my entire perspective of God. I was like, so I've been coming to church every Sunday and for me it was just, my parents are going, let's go. But all along God knows and he sees that I'm here. So that changed my life. And from that day on, I considered myself born again. I was like, I need to pursue this God and see what is behind him and what he's all about. After that Sunday, I'm hearing um, God exposing the sin in me and um, the lifestyle I've lived of uh, fear and worry and, and all that. Um, I decided that I needed to turn away from it. And um, it was from then that I disassociated with um, a lot of those patterns in my life. And um, I realized that um, Jesus has died for me and that he saved me from these things and that um, I needed him. So I began seeking him, you know, and um, seeking forgiveness and repenting as well, you know, turning away from my lustful thought and, and um, going and running towards him every single time. And even in, in school, um, it, it was evident. Some of the people didn't see me sharing the gospel. They're like, what happened to you? You know, they started seeing me going from one classroom to another, talking about Jesus. So they were like, ah, he's no longer the same person he used to be. This guy has, has changed. And I was um, invited to help um, a local church start a youth ministry. And um, Rita, who's now my wife, was assisting me to um, lead that ministry. And uh, I began um, praying to God about the possibility of um, us courting and, and um, having um, a relationship. I spoke to her and I was like, hey, I would like to coach you, you know, and uh, that's the term we used, I would like to coach you. So I began courting her in 2000, and I think it was um, 2013. I began courting her, courting, and around 2014, March, I proposed to her um, that I wanted to marry her. She said yes. So later in 2014, um, uh, November the 1st, we got married. The first um, two years of our marriage were hard. Um, I always tell people, I'm like, I was never a good husband those two years. I didn't know what I was doing until later on, you know, where God spoke to me and he told me, you are doing this all wrong. You need to be unconditional because I had all these conditions I was putting there because we come from a completely different culture and it was hard and it was even more hard because Rita and I were um, diagnosed or misdiagnosed I don't know how to call it with um, a chromosome disorder so the doctors told us you could never have children and if it was possible probably a girl not a boy so the first year of our marriage was hard because we had lost a baby um, my son my firstborn son was born with multiple chromosome disorder. So um, there was deformity and they were born still, they didn't make it. And she became pregnant for the second time and it didn't work out. And it was the same thing, so it was devastating. We had lost hope, we were like, what is this? And it was 
after some time that my parents and siblings were like, you know what, we need to start praying and talking to God about this. I was like, ah, we've given up on having children. So my parents and some other ministers, we began praying and asking God to heal and fix whatever disorder was. Brita and I, we became pregnant again. And this time around, we, we really were trusting God and we had to go by faith and just believing that God has healed us. And we believe that even though at that time we couldn't diagnose anything and know for sure this baby was going to be healthy. So we believed and trust God. And my son, Valiant, was born healthy and perfect. And we knew for sure that God had moved. I really do believe that God has changed my life. And, and I see that and I do believe that Jesus truly does change everything. Hmm. Wow. Changed lives. God is doing amazing things. I'm telling you, that story could be multiplied over and over of how Jesus Christ is working in different people's lives here at Fox Valley Church. Well, I want to give you another picture, a picture I came across that captures a moment I want to bring us into. And this is a picture of someone coming to Jesus Christ. Someone who is recognizing, I want you to look at this picture of how this man comes, right? Trying to capture that when we begin to recognize that we have rebelled against God, when we begin to recognize, as we just heard in the story, that we can be selfish, self-centered. When Emmanuel, I love that brother, he's just so honest, he said, my first two years, I had a list. All of these conditions. And when he finally saw how selfish, how self-centered he was, right? He repented of that. And what's a picture of repentance? But what we see right in front of us, a man bowing down before Jesus Christ and saying, I am a rebel. I am selfish. I am self-centered. I need you to change me, right? So the picture begins to capture it. And so that brings us into how we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We've got to recognize the problem that we bring. But then look a little closer at Jesus Christ. Look at how he's trying to capture, this artist is trying to capture the moment. Jesus, he doesn't stand over the man. He doesn't start shaking his fist. He's not wagging his fingers. What does he do? He gets down on his knees. He gets down at the level of the person and looks him in his eye. Now look a little closer at that picture. Look how the artist captured Jesus' head. Just like you would imagine Jesus would do. A little tilting of the head, a little turning of the ear so that he could listen to the man. That just captures Jesus Christ of how the Bible paints Jesus. Think of the story of the prodigal son. The father is rejoicing at listening to his son come back after he took the family's inheritance, a portion of it, and squandered it. But the father receives him back. Or think of the story when Jesus met the woman at the well and Jesus just sits down and talks to her. This artist is capturing a moment like that. So, Jesus wants us acquitted. He wants us set free. If you've never been acquitted of your sin, Jesus Christ is kneeling. He's here right now. He's present and he's bowed down with his sleeves rolled up and he's saying, tell me. 
tell me. So if you're here and you've never asked Jesus Christ to acquit you, to set you free from your sin, now is the time to do it. Now is the moment to turn to Jesus Christ and release it to Him. Get on your knees. can be just figuratively. Bow your heart and tell Him, I've rebelled against you, Jesus. Now I've listened to the eyewitnesses and I believe that you died on the cross and you demonstrated that you paid for sin and conquered sin and I can find my freedom through Jesus. All you got to do is confess that you've rebelled. All you got to do is confess and tell them that you have been selfish and self-centered. And who here hasn't been? I'd be first in line to say that's my life. Emmanuel said his first two years was bad. I've never talked to him about how bad his was, but let me tell you, I was bad. Bad. Selfish, self-centered, self-focused, focused on me completely. I needed to repent of that and turn away. And Jesus Christ just listened and began to set me free. Don't be deceived. I'm not a perfect husband, but I'm a ton better than I was that first year because Jesus is changing me from the inside and he wants to do that for you. So if you've never done it, today is the day. Don't leave here without it. Kate gave you a number you could text and say, hey, I want to know more or I'm interested or Connect Central. There's someone back there that'll talk to you. But don't leave here today if you've never made that decision. Today is the day. You don't know that you'll have tomorrow. But today's the day. Also, there'll be people down front after the service and you can come down here and they'll pray with you and help you through this. But now I want to talk to other people in the courtroom. Like the man in the courtroom, he didn't want it. Today's the day to change your mind and say, I need it. I need it. Or maybe you're here today and you've already trusted Christ, but you're walking in the bondage of the past you know you've been acquitted but you're not walking in the freedom today is a day to walk in the freedom you know what jesus said or john wrote about jesus he says but as many as received him to as many as believe him as many as turn to him he gives that man that woman the right to become a child of his john chapter 1 verse 12 as many as receive him, to those he gives the right to become children of God. That's what we need to walk in, is to trust him with it. Let me close with this. Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen. He's coming back. And I'm going to tell you, amen, we can clap on that. He's coming back. Now let me tell you how he's coming back. He's coming back as king and as judge. As king and as judge. King to show the whole world he rules, he reigns over everything. No one's going to escape it. No ruler, no king anywhere else will be able to dodge it. Jesus is king. But then he's coming back as judge. And all of us will stand before him as the judge and give an account for our lives. Every one of us. And for those who have turned to Jesus Christ, he will or she will be acquitted. But those who have not will stand in judgment. And the only way to spend eternity with God through, is through 
Jesus Christ. So our hope, our hope is in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. I want to admonish you. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. There is nowhere else to go. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power that comes with the resurrection, that it genuinely carries with it a power that we can't comprehend, we don't understand, but it's real and it's dynamic and it's changing hearts. It's changing women from the inside out. It's changing men. And so God, we rejoice in this hope that we have because there's no greater hope in the world than Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.